welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and I brought on a fabulous guest today, Matt Hansen. He, together with his wife, Renee, have been investing in real estate for over 30 years and are also crypto and venture capital investors. He's invested in over 2,200 units of apartment buildings across Texas, Tennessee, Florida, and enjoy the passive income and wealth growth. This is a diversified his retirement portfolio and has reduced his exposure to the volatility of the stock market. He's also a podcast host. So if you get a chance, check out his podcast, Better Returns Podcast. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for being here today. And Matt, can you share with us You know your background? and You've been in real estate for over 30 years. How did you even get started? Well, I started when I was two years old, for the record. Okay, I'm not that old, Eileen. But, uh, but man, my well, wife. My, prob- my, my, I have a two-year-old. Tell me so I can tell my kids how to start as well. <laughs> so pro- probably I started not to be ages before you were born. So probably 33 years ago, my wife and I started flipping houses when we first got married, and that wasn't a thing back then. So we did we did a couple houses. We would live in them for a year, so we didn't have we had long-term capital gains versus you know earned income taxes. So, and we just do all the work ourselves. So we did that. So I started well over 33 years ago and then um, we started having kids and it wasn't practical to live in a house while you're renovating. So I stopped, stopped for about 18 years. The kids went off to college. Then I got into large multifamily investing. First as a passive limited partner. Um, so I learned the ropes doing that, invested in a bunch of deals. Then I started doing a general partner and running my own deals with partners and things like that. That's kind of how I got into it as an evolution. Did the single family home years, years, and years ago. And then when I decided to get back in, I realized I discovered this whole thing about passively investing in syndications and large apartments. Like Light bulb went off. This is fun. It's easy. And so that's how I got into it. And, and so when you got started with real estate, you know, you flipped houses and you took a little break after you had kids to focus on the family. What about it was passive income? Because it's, I'm assuming you were still working your your full-time yes. job at the same time. How did you start as a passive investor when you were first working your job and looking for different ways to invest in real estate? Because I would assume back then, you know, information was a little bit harder to find than what it is now. So how did you get introduced to the world? Actually, I heard on a podcast, you know, and this is when they first started. And that's kind of how I discovered because I was you know, doing all this work, flipping houses. And again, I'm just doing one house at a time and it's just a side hustle. But then when I discovered, oh, you don't have to do all that stuff and you can still be an active real estate person. But I did do some passive stuff first, but my corporate background was a global director. So I did profit and loss, economic analysis, you know, risk reward and, and all these types of things that we think this is large multifamily. You're buying a business, basically. An apartment complex is a business, its own entity. I know how to run a business, a big business. I know how to run projects and things like that. And buying is like a project. You have to work with your lending broker, your insurance person, your lawyer, and all these other individuals to make sure you're hurting all the cats and you get the deal closed. And then you manage it going forward and thinking, this is business stuff. It's not construction stuff. So it was really a just a simple transition. I passively invested first. 
And I decided, shoot, I can do this. I can run these deals. So I did Moonlight for a couple, four years before I retired doing both, you know, quietly. Nobody really knew I was doing it as behind the scenes general partner. So that's kind of how I got into it. But my background, surprisingly enough, you know, the business background is really beneficial for multifamily, large multifamily investing. So how about let's fast forward to today because you know, passive investing today and the returns that you're seeing as a passive investor, especially in multifamily, might be a little bit different than what you've gotten, you know, years in the past. And now we're looking in the forefront of a potential recession that's coming up, the market's changing, interest rates continue to rise. What are your sentiments now about passive investing and what are the things that you're looking for in deal specifically that makes it appealing for you? And are you holding back any um, or are you you know, taking a little step back as a passive investor in real estate? What a loaded question. <laughs> but you're right. In the past, we would go full cycle. I've sold like four deals this year. One of them was in 24 months. We met double our investors money, 24 months. And now, and so our investor base, and then 32 months and 36 months on a couple of deals. But now as I talk to investors, okay, that 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 was pre-COVID purchases. We're buying stuff now, plan on doing the business plan for six years. So first off, setting expectations with our investor base that they are not going to turn money that quickly. It's probably going to be the full five or six year business plan. While we're looking at deals, much harder to find deals. And we're doing like $40 million deals or not smaller deals. So there's not as much competition. If you get down to the Twelve or fifteen million dollars. You've got a lot, much more competition of you know, people going after those. But you're the forty million above. It's not a, not as much competition. But you still have to be super critical because we want still want to get the same returns for our investors. So we do the term conservative underwriting, which we really do. So we look at okay, what's the interest rates going to look like by the time we close? Even if we get under contract, it could go up. And our current deal went up two percent, but we'd hedged. We'd said. We're going to give it, for example, it's a 506C, so I can legally talk about it. We published 8% cash on cash returns. We underwrote it almost 10. So when the interest rates came out and it was 2% higher, it actually brought it down to about 8. So we still met our investors' expectations, but we hedged on that one. We knew it had to be better than what we could publish if something happened and the interest rates happened. And the same thing in the markets. We only buy in Texas, Florida, and Arizona. Population and employment growth, the two most important things. So many people are moving to Florida and Arizona and Texas that I don't want to say dummy proof. If you're if you're a good operator and you get a decent deal there, the demand is there. It's just a matter of do your job and do it well, and you'll make money for your investor. So that's we haven't changed much. I mean, our underwriting we we hedged a lot more. Like you like you and you're leading me too. It's like <laughs> yeah, we're not just taking oh yeah, we're gonna publish ten percent returns. No, no, we're gonna say eight because we need a cushion. And same thing with our taxes and our insurance have gone up quite a bit in Florida. We make sure we're close with our insurance broker. We have one of the best in the business, Obi. Um, shout out to Matt Sudica out there, my buddy. Um, oh, I know Matt. Yes, deals. Matt. Yeah. Yes. Oh, he's wonderful. <laughs> he's a close friend of mine. So he really takes care of our investors because he makes sure we know what the insurance rates are going to be and they're going up. So we factor into our underwriting. So we're, our investors are protected. But we know that we don't overcommit on something and find out, oh, the insurance rate went up 30%. We know that before we close on the deal. So we've done a lot of those things that it's just a lot more work. Right, Eileen? It's not a lot more work. So make sure your our stress test, instead of, you know, 70%, you know, break even for occupancy, we went down to 65, I think, or 67%. So 
even if it gets really bad, at 67%, we're cash flowing these properties. So it is, it makes it harder to find deals, but that's the actions we're taking right now. So as a passive investor, you know, because you yourself also passively invest, you also work with passive investors as well. What are some of the common questions that they're asking now or they should be asking as they're looking for new deals and trying to figure out if the sponsors are hedging against these risks that you're also talking about? Ask for the data. You really do. And this is supposed to be passive investing, but you do need to be active in your due diligence. After you write the check, you should be able to just sit back and relax and get your monthly updates and your quarterly distributions. But before that, you everything's Googleable. Go take a look at Google. See what the market is. If you're somebody, you know, pitches you a deal in middle America somewhere and it's negative population growth, don't invest in it. So do your own due diligence and ask the question, like, what is the break-even point for occupancy? What is your underwriting look like for insurance and taxes? And uh, interest rates, that's going to be locked in before you close. But those are all questions that, that if the deal sponsor isn't willing to share that with you happily, run the other way. Because they should be able to share that with you. They have the data. There's no reason why they shouldn't share. So ask those types of questions. Because everybody says they do conservative underwriting. But ask them to prove it. That's the thing, I think, right there. Yes. It really is. Everybody so. has a different view of what conservative looks like. Yes. <laughs> You're right. That's true. You want to know what theirs is? Well, we went down to 80% occupancy and we think that's safe. Well, you know, we went down to 67 on ours to make sure we really recovered if the recession was had a dramatic impact, even in those great markets. That's one of my recommendations. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So on top of the, you know, looking at the interest rates, hedging against that, also looking at the break-even occupancy, bringing that metric lower and, and underwriting that way. How about like reserves or other things like that as well? Are you changing how you're looking at what types of reserves are being held in place as well? Banks usually, when the economy gets tough, the banks require, and you you know this, I know, they'll require more cash reserves. When COVID was hot and heavy, we had to have huge cash reserves, and they've loosened that. So we always meet the bank requirements, but we we do all the other things really on our underwriting to making sure that we're conservative to say, okay, what's our occupancy? What is our growth rate? For example, in our Florida deal, we've got a property like five miles away. Our rents are going at $500 a month. It actually was owned by the same same seller. So we know it's an identical property. But when we underwrote, we said, you know what? We're not going to count on that $500 a month. We're counting on 250 So mm -hmm. we actually, I can share it here. We have a co-star report that says, here's what the rates are. And we're way down here. We don't think we're going to get all the way there in the next two years or whatever. We're going to go half there. Now, I think hopefully we do. We, we exceed that. But those are a concrete example of we've got data to show rates are, we're 500 under market. We're going to plan for 250 just in case something crazy happens. 
So you, everything's everything's verifiable. Just ask for the data. So when I have to ask also, when you first started out with passive investing and you were looking for different ways to you know build up your wealth while you're still working your W-2, was this all through investments during like your savings as well? Or like how did you start building up your passive investing portfolio? Yeah, I had, I had quite a bit of cash available and I did have, I'd switched jobs at one point. I kind of was sold off as intellectual property. The company I worked for is a Fortune 100 company and they sold off a division. And I went with that division as intellectual property because they didn't have anybody that knew how to run it. So it was kind of a cushy job. But at that point, even though I had the same job doing the same thing for the same products, I worked for another company. My 401k was with my past employer. And now I can take that money and roll it over into a self-directed IRA. I went crazy with that. I got most of my money out of the stock market, putting in a self-directed IRA. Now I invest in real estate and we do a lot of venture capital investing too, some other crazy fun stuff that we make a lot of money on that people don't know about. So that's how I got started. I, you know, I'm an old guy, I had a ton of money in a 401k. And I do have some investments outside of that as well that are just normal cash. But it was something, again, when I'm talking to investors, I talk to people all the time, well, I've saved up this $50,000 I'm ready to go. I said, well, do you have another cash reserve? Do you have anything else? No, this is it. But no, I don't want you to invest with me or anybody else. That you need that for your family, or that you should have a you know a year's worth of income sitting there. So I was fortunate being in a position where I had funds available because I was a little bit older. That's how kind of how we got started. What is your take on the upcoming? talks about the recessions and interest rates rising in the next year or so. And how will that impact our overall returns in real estate? It will impact them. For example, the deal that we're doing right now, it was about 1.8% return impact on the returns to our investors. 1.8% less than, and again, we overestimated or we hedged. And so we, we undercommitted on that one. So we were fine. So I would say there's a perfect example there's a 2% impact on our returns. So it is a significant impact. And that's why you got to look at all the other factors too. You got to make sure it's in the right location. Is there growth there? Are the rents, can they go up? Because that's going to compensate it. So you've got to compensate for it somewhere, whether it be, you got to make sure you're looking at your taxes and your insurance, but can your rents really go up to cover that? So it is, it's, a, it's another lever you have to pull to adjust for the interest rates. But overall, multifamily, the one of the best risk-adjusted investments you can make. It's a physical asset. Everybody needs a place to live. We buy class Bs. So the people in the class A, when things get bad, they move down to the Bs. When the economy is great, the people in the Cs move up to the Bs. I mean, so that's kind of our speciality is right there in the middle. And light value adds, we're not doing, we're not ripping down walls. We're like, we're replacing the appliances and the flooring, the, the light value add stuff. So if we're, there's supply issues, okay, we're not going to be out. and We've got something ripped up. These are things that just need cosmetic work in management. You know what? We always bring our property managers. They're the best in the biz. They turn those businesses around. They run it like a business. They take great care of the tenants. So those are the levers you can pull. So I'm not, I'm still super bullish. It takes a little longer to find deals, but it's still one of the best investments you can do. As a passive investor also, what do you think are the most important metrics to focus on after, you know, you do, do, do your due diligence on the sponsor themselves, you vet them. But after that, you know, what are some of the metrics that they should also focus on or that are important to look at? I really, I think it's location, 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 just like, just like uh, residential real estate. 
if there's not population employment growth, doesn't matter what you can do, what you do, you're not going to make money. It's going to be, your occupancy is going to go down. So that's the number one thing. We don't buy in markets less than 200,000 people typically, because anything smaller than that, you can have one or two employers. And that's the other thing, employers. We don't, we don't buy in, we don't do student housing or senior housing or military housing, because if something happens with those specific industries, I have friends that owned student housing during COVID was not pretty. I don't want to put my investors in that situation. Now, they're doing great now, but that's one an example. What if the government shuts down a military base? And you know, not only the maybe not the um, maybe not the people serving there, but all the businesses that support that are there as well. So that's really your big thing is looking at the location. Is in a good location physically? That's the number one thing. If it's in a great location, population is growing, employment strong. If you got a good solid operator, you're going to make money. You're pretty safe. So I'd say that's number one. And Matt, for you, what is your next focus coming up here? I think it's really, I've been in Texas, Florida, and Tennessee. I've got a friend that's in Arizona that I want to partner with. So I'm going to start opening up Arizona for our investors, which I think is in Phoenix is a fabulous market. So that's kind of my, my new market. And again, I only partner with people that I've known, like, and trust for years and they're in different locations. So I have friends in Florida. I invest in with them in Florida. I have friends in Texas. I invest in Texas. In in Arizona, my buddy that's in Arizona, I'm going to invest with him, you know, partner with him on those. So that's what's really important that you've got somebody that really knows the market. I'm not sitting in New Jersey or, or in this is classic. I live in California and I'm buying a property in Virginia or whatever. You have anybody that lives in Virginia? Is there a boots on the ground? That's another thing you want to look at. Do you have somebody in the market or are they just relying on third party to do everything? You really want somebody to be keeping an eye on that. Like our Florida, Florida properties, one of my partners, he drives by it once a week. Make sure everything's fine. It's clean. It's picked up. And, you know, so that's another thing you need to look at. And Matt, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? Well, I think you always hear it's, it's even as an active investor in large multifamily, I can be in the Caribbean and work. I can be in California, spend a lot of time in California where you live. I yep. love it there. <laughs> I live in Michigan. You can do it anywhere. You make money in in the same thing with my passive investments. Those paychecks come in once a quarter, no matter where I'm at or what I'm doing. And you can have a full-time job and still passively invest, which is great. And even as an active person, I can travel and still do everything I want. So that big life-changing thing. And I kind of planned this four or five years before I retired that this is what I wanted to do. So I had a runway prepare that, okay, you know, this is something because I'm not going to sit at home and do nothing. You have to have purpose in life. So I'll be doing this until I'm 80 years old. It's so much fun. I get to work with my friends. I get to work with great investors and help people get their money out of Wall Street and in something you know, less risky. So it's a win-win. That's, I think that's the biggest impact for me. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? It's probably, again, everybody says this. I wish I'd have known earlier. I should have done this when I was tw- in my 20s. Like, <laughs> when you were two? Like, you mean when you were two when years I, old? When I was two. When I was two. <laughs> I mean, but like you, someone like you, oh my gosh, you're, you're so young. That's so great. You're going to be set for life and really be able to enjoy and do wonderful things for your family and other people. Again, that's just one of those that I love talking. I talked to an investor that was, he was in his earlier 30s earlier today. And he's so excited, but he doesn't have any money yet. But the fact is, he knows about this now. And he's a young professional. So he knows now, okay, Matt, maybe a year or two, but I'm going to work. You know, he makes a lot of money. I'm going to start socking away money so I can, you know, have 50 or 75,000. 
So now he knows he's got something else. He's 100% in the Wall Street right now. He's nervous. And he's already down, his portfolio is down 50%, literally 50%. I felt so bad for him. He says, so I said, that's fine. He said, this is, you know, educate yourself. You know, he's on my mailing list. Learn about it before you invest too. I mean, just don't go blindly invest with somebody or really vet them. Like you said, that's even more important than the deal, who you're investing. So I think that that's, you know, get educated on it. Really, that's the big thing. I just, you didn't have this stuff available to me when I was your age. This, the internet wasn't around here. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so I'm so envious It's all word of by you. mouth. It's all word by mouth. <laughs> yes, it was word by, but nobody, syndication, I think, wasn't until what, 2012 they got big. So anyways, that's my my piece of advice there. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? I think it's persistent and consistent, as my dad would say. You've got to consistently look at deals. You need to be persistent and you really need to educate yourself. And it's just, you know, don't don't make quick ju- judgments on this stuff. These are long-term investments. You're tie- your money's tied up for a long time. So be consistent in looking at lots of things. You know, I think that's persistent and consistent. And if you're an active investor, same thing. You're out there looking for deals. It takes a long time to find deals. Don't give up. Just keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. You will find something if you're doing the right thing. And Matt, where can our listeners find out more about you? Check out your podcast. Where can they go? Thanks. Hansonholdings.com. I know Eileen will have it in the show notes. My podcast is Better Returns, Invest Like a Pro. Hopefully someday I'll be as successful as you are. Your your podcast is, I'm a fan. I love your show. It's wonderful. You have a great impact on people. You have wonderful guests coming here. I learned stuff on your, listening to your show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Listen to Eileen's show first, and then you'll have time later to listen to Better better Returns too. So thanks so much. (laughs) Thank you so much, Matt. It was a pleasure having you on the show today. (laughs) Pleasure was all mine. Thanks so much. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.